0: Well, good evening. It's nice to see you all again. It's the second week of Advent. Uh, i have to tell you, this afternoon... This afternoon, uh, I was having lunch with some of the other pastors in the area, and they were talking about what are you all doing for Christmas? What are you doing for Advent? What kind of series are you doing at church to prepare for Christmas? And, of course, they're all saying... Yeah, we're doing a series on peace, hope, love, and joy. Uh, We're doing a series on generosity. And I was so thankful they didn't ask me, because I would have to say, I'm doing a series on death, judgment, and hell. And so, uh, yeah, and they would have probably rightly seen me as an oddball, and maybe I am. Uh, But again, just as we talked about last week, in our lectionary, in our church year, when we get to Advent, Advent's very much forward-looking. It it calls us to consider where our hope comes from, what is our hope, and to articulate that, right? So that when we get to Christmas, it's not just that sentimental holiday and gift-giving, but we know we have a firm reason for our hope. So again... This evening, I'd like to start with a reading of Psalm 103 that will read from the hymnal if you would like to follow along. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all God's benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the grave and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. O Lord, you provide vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. You made known your ways to Moses and your works to the children of Israel. Lord, you are full of compassion and mercy slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You will not always accuse us, nor will you keep your anger forever. You have not dealt with us according to our sins, nor repaid us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is your steadfast love for those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so you have compassion for those who fear you, O Lord. For you know well how we are formed. You remember that we are but dust. As for mortals, their days are like the grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it is gone, and its places shall know it no more. But your steadfast love, O Lord, is forever with those who fear you. And your righteousness is for the children's children, for those who keep your covenant and remember to do your commandments. The Lord's throne is established in heaven. God's dominion rules over all. Bless the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do God's bidding, who obey the voice of God's word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts of God, you servants who do God's will. Bless the Lord, all you works of God, in all places where God rules. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Our service begins on page 238 in your hymnal. And we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God of all mercy and consolation, come to the help of your people, turning us from our sin to live for you alone. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may confess our sin, receive your forgiveness, and grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, well, as this Advent, we're going to take time to talk about the four last things, uh, which in Christian tradition are death, judgment, and heaven and hell. Uh, Last week, we touched a little bit on what does Scripture have to say on the death of a Christian? Uh, What's our hope in the midst of that reality? And so tonight, again, we're going to look at this question of Judgment, And specifically, as we look forward to the last day, I think the question maybe we should all ask ourselves is, should Judgment Day terrify us? Should Judgment Day scare us? I remember when I was a kid, uh, somewhere or another, I picked up one of these Jack Chick gospel treks. I don't know if you're familiar with these if you've ever seen these, but little cartoon strips uh, that people leave around gas stations or at schools or or whatever. Uh, But this one I picked up, I think it was called something like Judgment Day. Uh, And the comic strip showed a man who had died and he's gone to stand before the Lord in judgment. And there God says, okay, I'm going to play every one of your actions, every one of your thoughts, every one of your deeds is going to get projected like a movie for all of creation to see. right, And so I can picture it in my head. There were still these crowds of people and then this humiliated man standing up in front of them as his whole life is rolled over like a movie. And everyone's watching it. And that terrified me as a child. I thought, how humiliating would that be if everyone saw every dumb thing that I did, every bad thing that I did, Uh, just how awful that would be. And that's always stuck with me. Uh, And and I think that's an image a lot of people have of Judgment Day when we hear that. You know, how often have you heard preaching preaching? on the final judgment in church. Um, I certainly never have in a Lutheran church, uh, even before becoming Lutheran and being Anglican, I never heard preaching on judgment. But yet it's in our creeds, it's in our confessions, right? it's very clearly in the Bible. And yet we're so relatively silent about it. And I think that's because many of us don't want to be manipulative or being manipulated. right? Like that gospel track that I saw that somehow Judgment Day turns into, you know, you have to act better, you have to do better, you should feel bad all the time for who you are, for what you've done. Um, and so we avoid it, but yet it's clearly there in our in our confessions and in our scripture. And so what do we do with it? I think it's important to, to wrestle with that question and and to see just what Scripture says and what we should do with it. Uh, so my argument tonight, anyway, is going to be that as Christians, we have to view Judgment Day, the final judgment, as a good thing. Right? That, that we should see it uh primarily in terms of our salvation. I don't have this on your paper, but I'm going to read first just a couple verses from Isaiah chapter 35. Uh, Starting at verse 3 of Isaiah 35. And so Isaiah is talking about the day of judgment here. And he says, Strengthen the weak hands, and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. We get this contrasting image here that we have God who is coming in judgment and vengeance with terrible recompense, as the scriptures say, but he's coming to save you. In fact, he's coming to open the eyes of the blind, to open the ears of the deaf, to make the lame leap, and to make every tongue sing for joy. Ab. it cuts against that image that we have that judgment's simply terrible. All right, that's simply something to fear. Isaiah says it's a day of rejoicing. All right, and so I want to explore that in light of what Christ himself says about a coming judgment day. So I'm looking at Matthew chapter 25 starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked or sick in prison? and did not take care of you. Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Well, The the first thing we see in in Christ's teaching here of what judgment will be like is that it's, it's a question of identity right he says judgment is about separating sheep on the right hand or goats on the left right apparently sheep are better than goats Um, maybe walter can tell us why but um, apparently sheep i think the idea is that goats are more prideful and get into more trouble they're a little mischievous Um, More rambunctious uh, sheep are more gentle, humble, obedient. Um, That's the idea. Maybe we shouldn't take it too literally. Uh, But it's a question of identity, right? That Christ here is separating sheep and goats, right? Those who are righteous and those who are not. Well, it should give us pause as Lutherans, especially, to think about this you know because as lutherans we have to weigh this balance of what are we saying about judgment and about works and don't we talk about oh we're saved by faith alone right so what do you do with judgment if you're saved by faith alone right there, there's that tension there but i think seeing it through identity first kind of helps us understand that tension uh, as Lutherans, we say that since by faith we're united to Christ, Christ is our identity. Right? We're given his righteousness. The big theological word is imputation. Right? That Christ' righteousness, that Christ lived a perfect life for us. He died a perfect death for us. That's imputed into us. Which means that when God sees us, he sees Christ. All right, we are a new creation because we're united to Jesus. And so our good works as baptized Christians are indeed good works because they flow out of our identity in Christ. All right, we are in Christ. We are recognized by his righteousness. But then out of that flows love for our neighbor, love for God, and out of that flows our own holiness and our own works that become good. And they don't become good anything in us, right? That somehow we're special outside of Christ, but they become good because we are united with Christ. Right? And so we're not saved by any kind of good work that we do. We're not justified by those. We're not made right with God by these things. But rather, having been made right with God, having been united to Christ, our works become good. Precisely because it's Christ who has made us a new creation. So Judgment Day itself is this final declaration of who we are in Christ. Judgment Day is that final confirmation, that final declaration, that indeed you're not a goat, but you're a sheep. You're not one who belongs to the world. You're not one who belongs to the devil. Rather, you're one who belongs to Christ. And so we can read Judgment Day then, in light of that understanding, that it's about identity. Identity. Right, we're the ones who have been saved by Christ, made right by him, and now live united with him. But as we see here in Matthew 25, our works still play a part in our judgment. right? In understanding who we are. So Christians are the ones who do good works because they're the ones united to Christ and right. As our good works flow from our faith, Christ says here that these good works will be recognized on Judgment Day. Uh, and he gives us really specific good works that will be recognized. Right. He says giving food, giving a drink, welcoming a stranger, giving clothes, visiting the sick, visiting the imprisoned, He says, when you do these things to the least of humanity, to those on the lowest rung of society's ladder, when you treat those people with kindness and love and you give unto them, he says, it's the same thing as doing it unto me. Right? And so it's works of love that Christ has in mind when he's talking about Judgment Day. Um, And so there is this sense in which it's tied to our identity, right? What does it mean to be a child of Christ in this world? What does it mean to be one of his sheep? Well, it means to love one another, right? It means to take care of the poor, to remember the poor, to give to those who are in need, right? So that's who we are as Christians. That's part of our identity, Right? and and our hope is that that flows out of our faith right that we don't simply do it because we're afraid of judgment day we do it because Christ has saved us right and and being saved by Christ we want to love one another we want to give our lives for one another and so that flows out of our identity in the same way here He says those who are not part of the sheepfold, those who are not in Christ, their works are still seen as evil works because they're doing it primarily for themselves. Them as people who are of the world, of the devil, their works are not considered righteous because they're not in Christ. And so it's our faith in Christ that makes what we do a good work, but we can't get around that. There's an exhortation here from Christ that, in fact, we should do good works. We should love one another. All right? That's who we are, and that's where our identity is in Christ. Uh, second text I wanted to look at is in First Corinthians. I'm looking at chapter three starting at verse 11. The context here, Paul is dealing with in the church in Corinth. There are all kinds of divisions. Uh, and there's divisions about which apostle is better. Is it better to be a disciple of Apollos or is it better to be a disciple of Paul? And Paul is saying it doesn't matter. Right? What matters is Christ is supreme. And so he wants, he wants kind of a level foundation here for them to understand that they're all working for one common purpose, which is the gospel. So in verse 11 he begins, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, the builder will be saved, But only as through fire. And so again, Paul has this idea then as Judgment Day as a day of disclosure. Right? And he uses fire here as kind of a figure of speech uh, to say whatever we do in life that was built with Christ in mind, that's going to last. Right? Uh, Whatever we do that's self serving, whatever we do to build ourselves up, um, to get more and more for ourselves, he said all of that's going to be burned away. Right, All of that's going away. Because only what's done for Christ is going to last. Right, And so the fruits of our lives will in fact be revealed because the fruits of our love will be revealed. Uh, there's... A C.S. Lewis book, The Great Divorce, if you've ever read it, he describes kind of this journey, first to heaven and then later to hell, but the protagonist, the main character, dies, and a bus picks him up, takes him to heaven. Um, And when he gets to heaven, he starts to see people, he says, gosh, that person's in heaven. What are they doing here? But it's revealed to him that these are the people who have prayed for him, the people whose labors led to his own belief. Uh, and so that's kind of what Paul is saying here as well that, you know, our identity in the next age, in the next life, our identity is going to be all of that good that we've done here, is going to persevere, right? It's going to last eternally because it's done for Christ and it's built on Christ. But whatever we do that's self-serving, it hurts others, that's going to go away. And so that's ultimately good news, right? Because then our relationships with one another, our relationship with God, is only going to be defined by goodness and love. It's only going to be defined by caring for one another. And so, Judgment Day reveals for us the things that are in between us precisely so we know that they're gone forever. But the only thing that's going to last in our lives is goodness. Here we see something similar then in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. Starting with verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. But Paul here is hinting at the same idea, right? that whatever problems we've had on this life and the body, they're going to be done away with. Right, and Judgment Day is going to reveal for us just exactly what is good, what is bad, precisely so we know that the bad is forever swallowed up. It's done away with. Right, and the only thing that's going to remain is what pleases God. And just a few verses later on, in verse 18. Through 21, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? Paul is able to move from talking about this final judgment day to reminding the Corinthians, in Christ you are made the righteousness of God. Right? And so there is a sense in which you can stand confidently in front of God on the last day. Right? Not because there's anything in you that's worthy to stand in front of God, but because Christ has come for you. Right? That Christ has loved you and made you his own. And he has made you a new creation. And so for that reason, everything that's not of Christ in you on Judgment Day will be done away with. And what will remain is Christ. And so it's not such a terrifying image, I think, to think about this disclosure, to think about the revelation that's to come at this final judgment, because it's ultimately a declaration of who we are and what Christ has done in us. In fact, things will be disclosed, right? Our works will be disclosed. But it's not that act of humiliation. It's not because God... Wants to embarrass us, that God wants to simply punish us, right? But it's in that moment God's going to confirm us as Christ, right? And so, the work that was begun in us, right here at our baptisms, right, when we're united to Christ, Judgment Day is that final declaration that it's true for all eternity, it's that final confirmation. And so to wrap this up, I want to tie it back in to Christmas um, and to Advent. And so what we see is that Christmas itself is the beginning of that judgment. Because Christ, in taking on flesh, right, has made that first step to solidifying our identity as God's children. But when we see in the text leading up to Christmas or Advent readings, is that the coming of Christ is synonymous with Judgment Day. Uh, And that may be surprising to us, right? We think of Christmas as that day of peace and hope and love and joy, and it all is. But in the same way, it's also connected to that final judgment in which we are named his. Uh, but I'm thinking of Luke here, chapter 1, Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. Right, after Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that she will bear the Christ child, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, and of course Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Mary breaks out into this song. But as we listen to her song, it is a song of praise, but the song at the whole time hints at judgment. Right? She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. To Abraham and to his descendants forever. Right? There's these words of, of judgment here. Right? That God has shown the strength with his arms, he has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful and he's lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Right? It's judgment because God here has finally through Christ, assigned identities. And so we should read this and see that we are the lowly who have been lifted up through the coming of Christ. We are the hungry that God is filling with good things. We're the one God has come in remembrance of his mercy. And so that declaration of identity, that's what judgment's about. But it's also why Christ has come. To settle our identity as his own. Right, another Advent text, uh, one that's in our lectionary right now that we started this past Sunday and will continue next Sunday. Uh, think about John the Baptist's message about the coming Messiah. So, our text for this coming Sunday starts at verse 7, and John speaking to the crowds. It says, John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. All right, so even John the Baptist here, he's equating the coming of Christ with this day of judgment. Christ is going to identify who's the grain worth keeping, who's the chaff that's going to get thrown into the fire. Right? And that's what Christmas, at the heart of it, is all about. Not that we're the chaff that's going to be thrown into the fire, right? but that Christ has made us the grain that he's going to keep. He's going to make us the sheep. He's going to set us apart as his children. And so in that sense, Christmas is the beginning of judgment because it's the beginning of the disclosure Of who we are and him. For our service here, we will continue on page two thirty nine. So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God promises to heal us and forgive us. So let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Let us take a moment of silent reflection. Now, continuing on 240. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. For self centered living and for failing to walk with humility and gentleness. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. For longing to have what is not ours and for hearts that are not at rest with ourselves. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. For misuse of human relationships and for unwillingness to see the image of God in others, holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. For jealousies that divide families and nations and for rivalries that create strife and warfare, holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us for reluctance in sharing the gifts of God and for carelessness with the fruits of creation. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. For hurtful words that condemn and for angry deeds that harm. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. For idleness and witnessing to Jesus Christ, and for squandering the gifts of love and grace. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Almighty God, strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit that Christ may live in your hearts through faith. Amen. Now together let us pray, as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And And I invite you to take a moment and greet one another, signs of Christ's peace. receive God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine on you with grace and mercy. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Now go in peace. Christ has made you free. Thanks be to God.